You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. It's all good. God is good. There's nothing bad, but I'm glad you told me that. So anyways, I was studying God's word and I felt really impressed from the Lord to go this direction this morning. So this morning, I want to share about holiness. Can you say holiness? Holiness. So again, holiness. And um, I was getting ready for this Sunday. In fact, I was going to share something else. In fact, the Lord kind of impressed me to share two other topics. But when I was getting ready for this morning, the Lord just really impressed on me. Holiness. So I sat down and said, okay, Lord, if you want me to share on this, share. What do you want me to share on this? Uh, and as I've told you before, my instinct is to go where I know, where I'm familiar. But again, I felt impressed. No, let me show you something new. So this morning, you're getting something that's still fresh for me. But holiness, when it comes to the word holiness, let me say this. First and foremost, let's define it. Holiness is not what most people in the church like to think. Most people in church think that when you are holy, it means you don't touch anything that's bad. You don't listen to anything that's bad. You don't eat anything that's bad. I mean, it's don't taste, don't touch, don't, don't listen, don't do. I mean, you literally live in a bubble. Holiness, by the Pharisees' definition, was stay in the temple. Stay in the temple. Everyone outside the temple, they're not holy like us. And because they'll never be as holy as us, they can come to us and we can do things to help them. But they will never be as holy as us. And Jesus wrecked that whole theology because he came up like a rabbi. He was just like the Pharisees in that sense. But he went outside of the temple and met sinners right where they were. And in a sense, in a picture, Jesus was God on wheels. (laughs) And they hated it. Because they could be holy as long as God was where they could control him. But the moment they couldn't control God anymore, all of a sudden, Jesus presented a problem. So holiness, the way the church has defined it for years, even still to this day, is don't taste, don't touch, don't feel, don't do, don't do anything. Live in a bubble. Put yourself in a room and don't ever do anything. And then when you think you're safe, you are holy now, all of a sudden, even your thoughts betray you. (laughs) You never win. So holiness is this pattern of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to get there. But if you look at the definition of holiness, do you know, does anyone know what holiness means by definition? Does anyone? I will tell you. Separation. Uncommon. That's it. For example, all of you this morning are seated there, but I'm the only one standing. So that means I am separated from you. Therefore, I am holy from you. When the Bible says God is holy, it says holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What does it mean? God is so separated from sin, the curse, and the disease. God is holy. Right? Jesus is the holy one of Israel. He was in Israel. He was among Israel, yet he was separated from everyone in Israel. Therefore, he is the holy one of Israel. He's the only one like him. Everyone else is sick. They're suffering. They're walking by him. But he is the holy one of Israel. Likewise, as Jesus is, so are in this, not one day when you get to heaven, but as Jesus is right now, so are you in this world. As Jesus is holy, so are you holy in this world. He was the holy one of Israel. You are the holy ones of Charlotte. Amen? Amen. All right, cool. So when it comes to holiness, I decided, let me go look something up. And I never thought about doing this before, so I felt like it was the Holy Spirit. He said, son, go look how many times Jesus shared on holiness. 
Now, before I went looking, I remember I was going through every sermon I could think of in my head. And if you're probably doing it right now at the moment, guess what? You're probably right. You will never find one message, one sermon, one time that Jesus ever told someone to live, act or be holy. Won't find it because he never did it. Jesus never told anyone to live holy. He never did it. Now, again, I'm thinking, well, Jesus was on that side of the cross, the Apostle Paul. But then wait a second. Jesus was very intentional. If he never told anyone to be holy, act holy, live holy, abstain from this, don't do that. If he never told anyone to do that, why did he do that? The answer I submit to you is this. He knew that he was going to be the measure of holiness for everyone who would believe. So if he is going to be my holiness, then there's no reason for him to tell me to be holy. Does that make sense? In fact, I was meditating, it, meditating on it a little more this morning. You know, when you get married, everyone has a, has a role in the marriage, right? For example, I am the husband in the marriage. I'm a husband first. I'm a father second. And then everything else comes. I am a provider. I'm a supplier. Uh, I do all these things. Christina is the mother. I'm sorry. She's a wife first. She's a mother second. You get my point. She's the mother of the house. Now, granted, we both work. But the point is, we both have roles. The moment she switches roles and tries to take over... Everything goes into utter chaos. The house starts burning down. <laughs> I'm joking. And the same is true for my, for my position. If I switch roles and try to take on her role, everything goes into utter chaos. We have to stay in our roles. We have to do what we were supposed to do. Now, the same is true of Jesus. We have a role. We are the bride of Christ. He is the husband. Now, based on stereotypes, most men, the role of most men is to do what? Be the provider, be the, the man of the house, right? We, I mean, it's not anything new. We all know that. And the same is true for us today in our marriage with Christ. Let him be the provider. Our job is not to try and provide. Our job is to let him provide. Now, I'll say this. When you look at churches, statistically speaking, more women are drawn to church than most men. And I start wondering, but the more I was kind of processing all this, it starts making sense. Because women, stereotype, women, it's a position that they already understand. For men, we have to make a mental change. I can't do something. I have to let him do it for me. And that's hard for most men. <laughs> most men, we find it hard to sit at home and let the woman work and say, oh, no, no, it'll be fine. She's working. That's hard. That's not an easy thing to do. And yet we have to stay in our role. We have to stay in our position. We have to let him be the provider. Let him be the head of the house and let him be our holiness. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, knowing that, look at this in first Corinthians. I want to show you this in first Corinthians. Dad, can you monitor that? There's like some ringing again. I'm sorry. I'm afraid to turn around. I feel like I'm going to. In fact, you can drop the volume on the whole thing. I talk loud. I can talk louder. There we go. First Corinthians chapter one. Now look at this in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 27. The apostle Paul says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now, I want you to just follow along for, the, for a second, the train of thought. He says in verse 30, it is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has, excuse me, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. One more time. Jesus has become four things for all of us. He has become our wisdom. He's become our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Do you want to know, anytime you need wisdom from God, Solomon said, God, give me a hearing heart. God said, I'll give you wisdom. Guess what? Today, Jesus is the measure of wisdom that you have. How much wisdom do you have? Do you have Jesus? Then you have God's wisdom. 
right? So you have wisdom. You have righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. It's not something you're getting. Jesus is it. How righteous are you? How righteous is Jesus? Because Jesus has become your righteousness. How holy are you? Jesus has become your holiness. So as holy as Jesus is, Jesus is your holiness. You are as holy as Jesus. And look right here, redemption. How redeemed are you from every curse, every form of bondage? How redeemed is Jesus? Then so are you in this world. Now, I'm saying that on purpose to say this. When it comes to understanding this, keep in mind, when Paul was talking to the Corinthians, of all the churches that Paul was the apostle of, the the church in Corinth, they were the worst. They were the worst sinners. I mean, let's just be honest. They were sleeping with temple prostitutes. It was pretty bad. At one point, a man had uh, divorced his wife, married another woman, and then I think it was the son was sleeping with the, the other one. I mean, it's pretty bad stuff. Of all the churches, this was the worst. And the Apostle Paul doesn't come in guns blazing saying, get rid of the leadership, get rid of the deacons, get rid of everybody, condemn that man to hell, let's start over. You know what Paul does? He opens up that entire book by saying, hey, look, Let me tell you who you are. When it comes to the prostitutes, he doesn't say, stop doing it. You're going to go to hell. You know what he says? (laughs) Do you not know that you are the body of Christ? You are the bride of Christ. And what place does the body of Christ have being joined to a temple prostitute? (laughs) I mean, come on. He doesn't say work to become. He says, stop because of who you are. Even your sin hasn't changed who you are. Your sin hasn't changed who you are. As your apostle, let me remind you of who you are so that you'll stop acting the way you're acting. Isn't that amazing? When it comes right here to chapter one, Paul starts talking about wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. And he says this, God chose foolish things to confound the wise. Because in Corinth, there were a lot of people saying, well, I am wise because I follow this person. And I am wise because I follow that person. And they were all comparing how wise they were. And Paul stepped in and realized the church has started to adopt what the world is doing. So he comes into the church and he says, look, don't try to be wise like the rest of the world. If you're going to brag about how smart you are, how wise you really think you are, know this. God has made Jesus your wisdom. So if you're going to brag, hey, don't brag in yourself, brag in Jesus. (laughs) I love it. He doesn't even say stop bragging. He just says stop bragging about yourself and brag about Jesus. You want to be proud? Be proud about what he did for you. Be proud, but be proud about what he did for you. It's not stop. It's keep doing it. Just do it in the right way. In fact, look at this in verse 31. So that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So again, he's not saying don't brag. He's saying just redirect all that confidence and put it in Christ. Are you with me? So all that said to say, when it comes to holiness, how holy are you? How holy is Jesus? As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Now, when it comes to holiness, again, holiness by definition, simple, plain definition is separation. You are separated. Now, how separated are you? Look at this in Psalm 91. And before we go here, what is the newest virus that's just hit? The coronavirus, right? Now, knowing that, I had already kind of mentally been preparing for this message. And and anytime it comes to disease, plagues, anything like that, Psalm 91 is my go-to verse. But watch this. Psalm 91, look at verse 1. I'm going to show you something I never saw before. Psalm 91, verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, who is that? That's us. Who is the one that dwells in the secret place? Who is that? 
That's us. And who is the most high and the almighty he's talking about? Jesus. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him, I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Now, before I point out verse four, I know I highlighted it. Before I point it out, I, I'm, I challenge you to go read Psalm 91 for yourself. Not right now. For yourself. And go and look for one place that David says, because I did this, the Lord did this for me. You won't find it. The whole chapter starts by saying this. I live here. So I am abiding under this. The rest of it is all him. Well, what if you sin? I live here, so I am abiding under the shadow. The rest is all him. It's not about what you do. (laughs) Again, it is not about what you do. Your position is based on where you live. And where you live is in Christ. So because you are in Christ, you are in the secret place. You are there. Because that's where you are. Know this, Psalm 91 is all yours. You are abiding under the shadow. And whether you say it or not, whether you say in God I will trust, it doesn't matter because you are in the secret place. You are abiding under the shadow. He is your refuge. He is your fortress, whether you acknowledge it or not. Now, there's some believers who don't experience it, but we'll get to that later. Verse 3, he says again, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence from the disease. (laughs) There is no one in center church that any disease can touch you because he delivers you from all. Then you come to verse four and I'm going to show you something I never saw before. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. I never saw this before. The word buckler right here, when you look it up, is the same word for shield, but it's an all encompassing shield. It's not like a belt. You think buckle. No, it's actually an all encompassing shield. So when he says his truth shall be your shield and buckler, he's saying not your truth. God's truth will be your shield. God's truth will be your shield. What is God's truth? You are in this world, but you are not of it. Only people who are of this world can get sick with those diseases. Only people who are of Adam can get sick with those diseases. But you are not of Adam. You are of the son. Therefore, His truth is my shield and my buckler. It doesn't matter what it looks like around me. His truth, not my truth. His truth is my shield and my buckler. How separated are you from the rest of this world? His truth. (laughs) I'm telling you, when I saw that, man, it was like one o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh, my God. I never saw that before. Anyways, you still with me? Let's keep going. When it comes to being separated again, God wants you to know that you are in this world, but you are not of it. But we have a perfect example of that when you look at the high priest. Now, I know I'm moving relatively quickly. I apologize. But we have a perfect picture of this in the high priest. When it comes to the high priest, know this. The high priest goes into God's presence and all the people stay outside, right? But again, as your high priest goes, so go the rest of the people. So watch this in 1 John chapter 4. And I normally would just point out verse 17, but I want you to see the context. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 16. John says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now watch this. Love has been perfected among us in this. Are you ready? 
Watch this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Now look at verse 16 one more time. He says, God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now if you live in God's love for you, you are living in God and God is living in you. But there are some people who, even though the love of God is in them, they are still not perfected. Now watch this. What is God's understanding of perfection? You can have boldness in the day anyone judges you. Now, why would someone need to judge you if you are perfect? They wouldn't need to. (laughs) They wouldn't need to. So it's not have boldness in the day that you're perfect. It's have boldness in the day that you mess up. Have boldness in the day that you sin in front of your coworkers. Have boldness in the day that you sin and, and say something you shouldn't in front of your family, in front of your friends. Have boldness on that day. You know why? Because in that moment when you should be guilty, when you should feel condemned, you should feel, oh my God, how could I? In that very moment, know this. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. <laughs> There, verse 14, there is no fear in that love, that love that God has for you. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. The Amplified, I think it says like this, fear involves torment or the wrongful perception of God's judgment against you. I think I'm going to paraphrase that. (laughs) But that's the point. The word torment right here or torture means you thought God was judging you. But in the moment when you sin, remember that as Jesus is, so are you in this world. And if that moment, if you don't hold on to that truth, what happens is this fear will come in and you will think that God is judging you. But God is never judging you. Fear comes from a place of believing God is going to judge me. And all the while he says what? But perfect love will remove even that fear. The wrongful interpretation of God's judgment. I'm telling you, as Jesus is, so are we. Can you say that? Say, as Jesus is, so am I. So is my family. So is my church. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. As holy as Jesus is, so are we. As separated as Jesus is, so are we. Now, what happens is this. If you take the reverse approach, be holy, be holy, be holy, what happens? It's nothing more than the law. Because you take your eyes off of Jesus and put your eyes on yourself. And you start judging yourself, looking at yourself, saying, what am I not doing to become? When all the while God is saying, no, 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 I have made Jesus your holiness. As Jesus is, so are you. The gospel makes it simple. Man, we make it hard. (laughs) If I give you something to do, it appeals to your flesh. Good, I have something to do this week. And it keeps you busy all week. Come back next week. Give me something else. It keeps you busy all week. Grace says, just relax. And in that moment when you said something you knew you shouldn't have said, it's okay. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Now, the question always comes up, and I just love to say this because I know people are watching. The question always comes up. If you tell people that, then they'll go out and do the wrong thing on purpose. No, only people like you do the wrong thing on purpose. (laughs) The rest of us are trying to be set free. (laughs) The rest of us are saying, God, help us. God, transform us. So he came and said, as Jesus is, so will you be. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I love that. Now, let me show you a few more places and we'll close. In Numbers chapter 20, in fact, before I read Numbers chapter 20, when it comes to feeling the idea of guilt, in fact, let me, before we go there, you can turn Numbers 20 or you can write it down. Keep in mind, when it comes to rejecting the feeling of fear and torment and torture, 
Do you know that there was a story in the Old Testament where the, um, the Ark of the Covenant was captured? I think we've shared it before. But the story of the Ark of the Covenant that was captured, we talked about it when we were in Shiloh. Was it, it was captured in Shiloh, wasn't it? And it was taken away. Anyways, Israel trips. I was going through pictures yesterday. The tabernacle, not tabernacle, I'm sorry, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. If you remember that story, in the Old Testament, the Philistines came to attack God's people. And they came up with this master plan. They said, let's take the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle. Because every time we take the Ark of the Covenant into battle, we always win. So they said it like this, let's take it into battle. Not let's bring God with us. They said, let's take it into battle. So what is that? What is it a picture of? It's someone who says, let me take the things that we do in church and turn it into a button. Let me take this because when I do this, God does this. So they said, let's turn it into a formula. When we do this, we'll always win. Let's take it into battle and we'll win. So they go into battle, but the moment God, moment they trade God, a relationship with God for a formula, what happens? They lose. So they go into battle and the ark is captured. They lose, some people die, and they capture the ark. When the Philistines capture the ark, skipping a lot of details, every time the ark lands in a city, all of a sudden disease breaks out. Boils break out. Uh, people start dying left and right. Plagues everywhere. And the people freak out and they realize it's the ark. It's the presence of God. So they decide to come up with this master plan. Let's put the ark on a cart and let's put some oxen in front to carry the cart. And let's let the cart go and see what happens. And if the cart goes back to the Israelites, we'll know that it was their God that was punishing us for taking the ark of the covenant. So anyways, they put it on the ark. They put it on the cart and they let it go. And all of a sudden, guess what? God leads the cart right back home to his people. His presence is now back home. When it arrives back home in the field of Joshua, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Beth Shemesh, was it? I could be wrong. But it's the field of Joshua, if I'm not mistaken. When the cart arrives, the people start singing and dancing. They start rejoicing. They blow the horns. They tell everyone, let everyone know that the ark is back. The presence of God has returned. But while all the people are letting everyone know that the ark is back, some of the people say, let's take a look inside the ark. So what do they do? In order to look inside the ark, you have to move something off the top. What was covering the ark of the covenant? What was it? The mercy seat. Now listen, what is inside the ark of the covenant? You had the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments were a representation of the time they said in self-righteousness, God, give us something to do. At Mount Sinai, they said, God, give us something to do. And God said, no, 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 continue in my covenant. They said, no, give us something to do. And all of a sudden, God said, fine, you want something to do? Moses, tell them, don't come near me ever again. If anyone touches the mountain, they'll be killed or shot through with an arrow, even their animals. Now there's distance between you and me. Self-righteousness separates you from me, right? Then he said, put the Ten Commandments inside the ark. Second time, Moses and Aaron, the people like we talked about a couple weeks ago, they rise up against Aaron and God says, well, fine, bring all your rods in here. And the next morning, the one that buds is the one I chose. He chooses Aaron's rod. Aaron is the one I've chosen. Good. Now, Aaron, you can't keep the rod. Now that I have blessed this rod, touched this rod, it's holy, meaning it must be separated. Put it in the ark. It's not a representation of how good I am. It's a representation of your rebellion against my leadership. Put it inside the ark and cover it up so no one can see it. Then another time they were walking through the wilderness and they said, God, we're tired of this worthless bread, this manna that you gave us, this free food that you gave us that represents your son. We are sick and tired of it. God said, fine, put it in a bowl and put it inside of the ark. Another representation of when they rejected Jesus as the bread of life. Are you with me? Inside the ark is a representation of sin. Then God says, cover up the picture of your sin 
with the mercy seat. The mercy seat. In order to see sin, you have to remove God's mercy to see how sinful we were. Now, knowing that today, it's the throne of, does anyone know? Grace. In order to see my sin, as another believer, to see my sin, you have to remove God's grace to look inside and see how bad I've been. Are you with me? That's why in the church, let me say this. (laughs) Grace makes you humble. (laughs) Grace makes you humble. In order for me to see your sin, I have to remove God's grace on your life to see your failures. That's a terrifying thing. You know what happened as soon as that happened? As soon as they moved the mercy seat to the side to see what was in it, all of a sudden God lashed out. And I think a couple thousand people died that day at that field. A couple thousand people died in that city because they wanted to look inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's the point? What's the point? Once God has declared you are holy, listen, you are holy. And no minister will ever stand up here in this church and tell you, you are not. You are not. That will never happen. You'll never hear this preacher ever say it. You are not holy because you know what that does? In order for me to tell you what you are not, I have to remove the mercy seat. And I have to say, this is where you have failed. Not me. You know, Moses failed in the same way. I'm I'm coming to the end. You know what? Moses failed in the same way. In fact, let's look at this in Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, what happens is this. Moses is walking through the wilderness and the people have complained the second time. Moses, there's no water. We ran out of water. You brought us into this wilderness to die of thirst. And Moses goes to God and God says, Moses, the first time you hit the rock, I'm paraphrasing, you hit the rock the first time. A picture of my son. This time you're not going to hit the rock. This time I want you to speak to the rock, right? A picture of Jesus. The first time hit. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus was hit. And all of a sudden, all our provision flows. The second time, now Jesus won't go to the cross and be hit anymore. Now, the second time, what happens? Now we speak and the provision flows. That's why this year, this season, we are in a season of speaking. It's no more, oh, Jesus has to be crucified. No, no, no. It's a season of speaking. Speak to the rock. Speak to Jesus and the provision will flow. But when Moses steps out there, all of a sudden, the people are complaining. He gets frustrated. He gets angry. And instead, he lashes out at the rock and he starts beating the rock. (laughs) When he hits the rock, what happens? God blesses the people anyways. In spite of the horrible leadership, God still provides for his children. Are you with me? Now, watch this. This is what God said to Moses. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rock with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and the animals drank verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Do you see that? You did not hallow me. What does the word hallow mean? You did not make me holy in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land, which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord And he was hallowed among them. Now, wait a second. Verse 12, he says, you did not make me holy in their eyes. But then in verse 13, it says he was made holy in their eyes. What's the point? What's the difference? Let me show you this. Moses was supposed to speak. He hit. He ruined the image of Jesus. God said, I want them to see how easy it is. I want my people, even in the New Testament, I believe he was thinking about all of us. I want them to see how easy it will be. All they will have to do is speak. Moses, just be the picture. Stand here and speak, and they'll get what they need. But Moses hid it. And God said, you didn't make me holy. Why? Because you made me appear angry when I am not angry. I was not angry, Moses. Why did you hit the rock? Now I don't look holy anymore. Meaning what? 
Jesus has to be hit again every time you make a mistake. Someone has to pay every time you make a mistake. If I preach that message, I'm not making God appear holy. But, but right here, verse 13, the, the children of Israel contended with the Lord. Look at just that phrase. They were struggling with the Lord and the Lord was made holy among them. How did they see God holy anyways? God said, Moses, you failed, but this is how I'll fix it. They were fighting with me and I still provided for them. Do you get it? In spite of their sin, I still provided for them. Because I provide for them in spite of their sin, I am now holy in their eyes. Do you see that? Now, don't forget the word holy means what? Separated, uncommon, out of the ordinary. What does that mean? All the gods of the world, they give them what they deserve. I am the only one that will always give you what you don't deserve. I am always the one who gives you what you have not earned. <laughs> I am gracious. Are you with me? I am gracious. And as long as God is gracious, let me say this. He is made holy in our eyes. Let me close with this. In Acts chapter 10, do I have anything after this? What's after this? Ooh, oh, man. Okay, I'm bringing this to a close, I promise. Watch this in Acts chapter 10. Let me show you the story of Peter, and I'll show you Isaiah, and then I'll close with this. I got to show you Isaiah because, man, that's the, yeah. Acts chapter 10. Now, Peter, I'm giving you the backdrop. Peter. And the apostles, they've already started sharing the gospel with other Jews, but they haven't started sharing it with the Gentiles just yet. And anyways, there's a man named Cornelius. He's an Italian uh, part of the military, the Roman guard. And all of a sudden he loves God. He's worshiping God. He's praying to God. But let me say this. One day, all of a sudden he has a vision where an angel comes to him and says, call for a man named Peter and he will tell you what you need to do. This morning I was on the way to church just thinking about that story. Keep in mind, even though he was worshiping God, he was praying to God, he was uh, being good to God's people, all those good things didn't help him one bit. As far as God is concerned, all those good things didn't matter. Now, I've never seen an angel. I would love to see an angel. But let me say this. Cornelius saw an angel, and the angel had nothing good for him to say. <laughs> nothing good to say to him. You know what the angel told him? Go find a man named Peter. He'll tell you what to do. All your good works don't help you. Now, look. All your good works, yes, God saw all of it. Great, good. But you still need Jesus. Jesus is the only one that will help you. So he sends an angel to Cornelius and says, go find a man named Peter. Peter will tell you what to do. So he sends for Peter. Now, while that's happening, it says, um, Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. Now, while they're on the way to find Peter, it says in verse 9, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at four corners, descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. Why does he say four footed animals? Because what he's saying is all kinds of unkosher animals, non kosher food. They don't eat. They don't. They, you have to follow the kosher diet to stay holy. But God brings down a curtain with animals that are not kosher. Watch this. And a voice came to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or was that unclean. unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. The object was taken up into heaven again. Now, watch this. Watch this. Three times, God says, eat something that's unclean. Peter says, I'll never eat something unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. God says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. 
<laughs> Watch this. All of a sudden, the visitors show up and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, I sent them. There's somebody coming for you. Don't ask questions. Just go. So they come and Peter says, well, the Lord told me to go with you. So here I am. Let's go. So they go back to Cornelius's house. And it says in the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down to his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I'm telling you. (laughs) God has shown Peter, who walked on water, Peter, who denied Jesus, Peter, who stood up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 got saved. God has shown Peter that he should never call anyone unclean. That he should never give somebody something else to do. He should never give someone else another task to complete. He should never tell someone else that they have failed. He should never tell someone else that they are failing, that they are a failure. God has shown me that I should never call any other man unclean. Now go back and read the rest of the story for yourself. What's the point? As a preacher, let me say this. By the grace of God, my job is not to tell you how to be better. Let me say this, and I say this to everyone across the board. Do not waste your calling or your ministry telling people how to be better. Use it showing people what Jesus has done. Use it showing people what Jesus has done. Do you realize at this point Cornelius wasn't even saved yet? I mean, think about it. Cornelius wasn't saved yet because Peter hadn't preached it. But in this moment, when he is still unsaved, God considers Cornelius to be clean. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, it says that all those who didn't receive Jesus, their names were blotted out. Not that they're not that our names will be written in, but their names were blotted out. Once Jesus died, God said, now everyone's name in all creation is now here. Jesus looked at his disciples before he died and said this. They came back to him. They said, Jesus, even the demons bow before us. Even the demons, they're subject to us when we speak. Jesus said, don't rejoice because they listen to you. Rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Are you with me? So as far as God's concerned, when Jesus died, everyone received him. But when the time is up, Jesus will say, okay, who did not receive me? And their names will be blotted out. As far as God's concerned, Cornelius was there. His name was there. So when Peter came, listen, it wasn't, oh, Cornelius, you have failed. You've done this. You've done that. You've done this. But if you receive Jesus, no, it was, let me tell you what Jesus did to save you. It's all good news. Oh, man. And I'll close with this. Watch this in Isaiah. I was looking at this and I said, Lord, I love, I haven't, I haven't had a good cross picture in a long time. Give me something fresh from the cross. And when I saw this, the Lord said, son, what is the definition of holy? What's the definition of holy? One more time and I'll close. Separation, Separation right? I said separation. The Lord said, do you know that Jesus was made common so you would be separated? And I said, show me where. And as soon as I said, show me where, Isaiah 53 popped in my head. Watch this and I'll close. Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, and yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus, his son. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's all of us. And he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You are the pleasure of the Lord. Therefore, you are prospering in his hand. Verse 11. 
shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify or make righteous many. That's all of us. Just the knowledge of Jesus. God has made you righteous. For he shall bear our iniquities. In verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. That's all of us. Because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors right there. He was the Holy One of Israel. But then God said, okay, you're no longer going to be holy, Jesus. Now you will be numbered with the sinners. And in that moment when he was numbered, God took all of us and God pulled all of us out. And now you are holy. <laughs> now you are holy. How did God make you holy? When God made Jesus common, then he separated you and made you holy. You're not holy because of what you've done. You are not special because of what you do. You are separated because of what Jesus did. <laughs> what does he say? And he bore the sin of many. There's someone who says, well, Matthew, what about sin? What about sin on this type of side of the cross? He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's all of us. That's all of us. I'm telling you, God made Jesus common so he could make you uncommon. God made Jesus carry all your sickness. That whole chapter is about sickness and disease as well. God made Jesus carry your sickness like everyone else in the world who is sick so that he could make you special like his son. You are the healthiest person in the world. You are the healthiest person in the world. You are the healthiest people, not just in Charlotte, but in the world because his truth is our shield and buckler. I'm telling you, you are the most favored people in the world because his truth is our shield and buckler. Everything that God declares to be true is because Jesus became all that we are so that you could relax and enjoy it. Amen. 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 I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you paid for it. Jesus, you paid for it. And this morning, we just say thank you. We say thank you. Again, another opportunity to rest because you paid for it. So, Jesus, we say that you are good. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. You are our wisdom. You are our redemption. And as you are, so are we in this world. So, Father, I thank you that every sickness that's tried to attach itself to anyone in this church Every disease that's tried to attach itself with lying symptoms. Father, every, uh, every wrong thought that made anyone in this church think for a moment that true prosperity was not theirs. Father, we come against every thought, every lying symptom in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that everyone in this church is holy. We are separated. We are special. We are favored. We are prosperous. We are healthy. We are whole because of what you did for us. And now all that's left to do is proclaim that we are holy as Jesus is because you have made us holy. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So let's do this. Let's take communion. We're going to try to change the format. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.